Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Radio for episode number 1470, 1470. Title is Hooly Dooly. <laughs> <laughs> Our podcast title is Beep the Pod. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McKee. And I was looking at the number 1470. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now there's lots of significant things about the date and everything, but this time I, I found a starship, NCC 1470. A uh, Burke-class frigate mm-hmm. of the Aldrin or the Aldrin subclass, and it served in Starfleet during the early to mid-23rd century. It was named after the German astronaut Sigmund Jan. <laughs> oh, I see. I see where this is going. <laughs> yes, the USS Jan, or Jan, probably mm. a bit more closer to it. And that came out of the Star Trek expanded universe, which is to say, you know, everything has a, a canon universe yes. and an expanded universe. In this case, it was the old FASA Star Trek Starship Tactical Combat Simulator, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I used to have. I just probably still got it somewhere with little ships and things, and you can throw dice, and that was great fun. So, yeah, I've got my own ship. <laughs> nice. Amazing. <laughs> All right. So, uh, ego aside, uh, <laughs> we have some free streaming services that I thought I'd bring to your attention. Yep. Uh, because, you know, you've got your Netflixes, your Stans, your Disney Plus, your Amazon, yep. Apple, all those ones, mm-hmm. all subscriber ones. Yes. And it is – I find it's great to actually have things like SBS yes. and iView and uh, Tubi and – Tubi or not Tubi? And Plex mm-hmm. uh, and the Internet Archive, which we called upon recently to grab a really obscure movie that nobody had seen before. <laughs> well, somebody must have seen it somewhere along the line. Um, and one of the ones that I really should have spotted before now is Canopy with a K. I think we did briefly cover this a couple of years ago, but I think always a good reminder. So they, they partner with public libraries and universities. Mm-hmm. So you just use your uh, university or library card yep. uh, and you can just log into this. And there's thousands of movies there. A good selection. A very good selection. I was looking at it. It's very up to date. And the thing about it is that you get – this is really cute. You get uh, a number of tickets per month and you can use those tickets as borrowing nice. tickets for the thing. So some things will have like two tickets. Sounds reasonable to me for free yeah. access. Yeah, and you have to, it's, you don't actually have to go to the library to return them because they're all downloads and streaming, you know, so it's all right there. You can't forget. And so you can obviously watch this on your mobile phone, your mm-hmm. tablets or yep. online, or like I do most of my stuff because, you know, I mean, I can't really watch things on phones. It's just too small. Yeah, it depends on what I'm watching, but I'm sort of of the same mind. Mm. So you just cast it to your telly or... Yeah plug it in on HDMI, that sort of thing. I'm sure you all know how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that that, that was great, finding that one. And if you're not a member of a library, why not? Exactly. Free to join up, support the public library system. Mm. And you can sign up online too, so it's easy. Uh, And the other one is Broly, Mm B-R-O-L-L-I-E. And that is, not surprisingly, the free streaming platform of Umbrella Entertainment. Oh, this one's new to me. Okay. Well, Umbrella is an Australian 
based a streaming, uh, well, now a streaming company, but also they put out a lot of classic, not so classic, but genre Australian movies. Oh, cool. So if you go down to your local DVD store... <laughs> you, uh, what, sorry? <laughs> yeah, you can find one or, or online or whatever. You will find a lot of Australian content on Umbrella. Amazing. You know, so like you've got your Razorbacks. And okay. A lot of, and tur- where are you going to find Turkey Shoot, you know? These are, these are movies that are deep past in Australia, like mm. in the 70s and stuff and 80s. And, and they also had documentaries too. Amazing. Uh, so, you know, you've got Not Quite Hollywood, which yep. is a great yep. documentary about Australian Ozploitation yeah. genre movies. So it's really right up Zero G's alley. Absolutely. So uh, again, you just sign up online to Broly, and most of these also have apps as well. I was going to ask, so you're able to download an app for that that makes okay, great. Yeah, I know, because I'm looking at my iPad. Excellent. It's got the apps up there. <laughs> so, you know, it's just great to be able to add these extra... Uh, channels to your repertoire. There's too much already. I know. There's I know too that. much, and I definitely agree that we, you know, we want to try to get a bit of a spread across streaming, both paid and free, because especially heading into the silly season, it's always nice to save a little bit of money when we can. Well, it's nice to be able to get. Uh, retro classics, basically. Because That's it. They're too. not always available on the streamers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Right, now you've got a trip report. I do, a trip report indeed. I did go to Sydney over the weekend to see a show called uh, Professor Brian Cox's Symphonic Horizons. Now you might say, well, Megan, this show is in the past and it was in Sydney. Why is it relevant to us here in Melbourne? It was recorded, the show that I saw, so the footage will be available in some shape or form. I don't have any concrete details on that, but I think we'll check back when it's available and I think, Rob, you would really enjoy this show. So I wanted to just kind of share some details about it. So when it does pop up available to watch, if people were interested, they can seek it out. So what exactly is Symphonic Horizons? So Professor Brian Cox, you may know him. I suspect you do. Uh, He's a very famous physicist, knows a lot about space, does a lot on TV, books, all kinds of things. And he worked on this show in collaboration with conductor Benjamin Norvey. And they put together this show full of physics, wonder, the universe, and some beautiful pieces of music. And it was produced by little name drop. My partner is a producer at the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. And so he had a hand in this show and it was performed by the Sydney Symphony Orchestra at the Opera House. So where does, when did Declaration of Interest become name drop? (laughs) (laughs) So I was lucky enough to get to go along to this and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Some of the music that's included, if you are interested, they played some pieces. They played Symphony Number 5 from Gene Sibelius. They also played Missa Solace Requiem for Eli, the seventh movement from Nigel Westlake. And they played some Mahler Symphony Number 5. And then after the interval, there was the whole of Also Sprax Zarathustra by Strauss. So the whole, all of it, from one to nine, which is rarely heard, you would recognise one sunrise, but not often is this whole thing performed in completion. So why was this interesting? So what was the show? Basically, it proposes a question that Brian Cox has been examining and wanted to sort of share information on about what does it mean to live a small, finite life in an infinite, eternal universe? So, you know, just a small throwaway question. And I think the central theme of the whole show in the evening was reconciling that. It's around the idea that there is a chance that we're the only complex life in our galaxy. And 
over the course of a couple of hours, these ideas are explored and different secrets, mysteries of the universe are spoken about via Brian Cox. He gave really great explanations on some very dense topics that were very quite palatable, actually. And peppered through, we get some beautifully composed pieces of music played by the orchestra. So he was actually on stage. He was there in uh, in person, yes. So it was sort of a bit of a mixture of, to be crude, a type of lecture or sharing of information, but then also beautifully mixed with the music. And there was a giant screen that had images from, for example, the Hubble telescope that really lined up with the themes and what was being spoken about. And while the music was playing, there was some really lovely images um, up on the backdrop as well. So that was kind of how the show unfolded. Did you get to meet him? I did get to meet him. (laughs) Very brilliant man, obviously. And I think if you're unfamiliar with Brian Cox's work, I think one thing that I really took away from it is I would like to know more about a lot of what was discussed. I think there's a lot of complex physics, but it was very well explained. And basically the the themes of throughout the evening, it talked a little bit about our solar system and we talked a bit about gal- the galaxy. We talked a bit about far-flung areas of the universe and then we also talked a bit, little bit touched later on about some theoretical ideas and possibilities around bubbles of universes like ours that exist in a multiverse. So there was a lot that was covered. It included, there was discussions around black holes, supernovas and the event horizon and also explored a bit about the conditions that would be required to support single cell life and where those planets, what kinds of planets have been identified to fall into that category. And then that all kind of led us really closely towards the idea that given all of the conditions of the known universe and the conditions of our galaxy and what we've thus discovered, it is very likely or the common theory amongst the agreed minds that study this is that we are probably the only complex life that exists. And so what does that mean? You might feel quite physically insignificant when you're looking at, you know, millions of light years worth of stars and galaxies and planets and, you know, just us tiny little speck. But actually what I took out of it was around the universe exists and it's quite beautiful, but without something to bring meaning to it or perceive it or observe it, what does that mean? And if we are the only complex enough organisms that exist in the universe to do that, that makes us quite powerful and quite important. So, And with... Great responsibility too. And this was really beautifully touched on as well around, well, then what does that mean? We live on this very fragile planet and if we are indeed the complex life that is perceiving the universe and if we were to, you know, live in such a way to make ourselves extinct, what the scale and scope of that idea would be. It also means that we've successfully concealed ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah I, I don't know about that I've, I've read a lot of the, the I, you know I, I don't um, I don't doubt Brian Cox's <laughs> <laughs> analysis of, of the of the current thought about the subject I mean I might doubt Brian Cox's analysis and I mean the actor yes, from X-Men yes. and his so ideas <laughs> can be bought and sold so <laughs> <laughs> but not, not this guy um yeah, it's uh, you know that's uh, that's kind of the 
the philosophy behind Isaac Asimov's universe, a lot of, of his stories were set in a human intelligence only until we invented robots. Well, this is the thing. Afterwards, there was a panel that was very um, wonderfully moderated and thoughts around AI came up. We talked a bit about climate... They talked a bit about climate change and some interesting ideas were thrown around in terms of, okay, well, then what if we were to create some kind of artificial intelligence and send that out into the universe? How does that affect things? What does that mean for our position within the universe as well? So that was a very interesting discussion because it unpacked the ideas that we'd already talked about Mm. and then moved into thinking, okay, well, then exactly what does that mean? And I think... During, there was a lot covered around the fact that, you know, what was the Big Bang? What evidence do we have of the Big Bang? And then how the universe expanded. But also talked a bit about what happened before that, what existed before the Big Bang. Things like what happens when you do enter a black hole, which is an area where the pull is stronger than the speed of light. So it becomes a nothing space. And then what is time and space? So we really went into some quite deep, deep stuff. But there were so many interesting ideas around that. And the fact that over hundreds of millions of years, a planet's conditions have to remain stable enough to support the evolution Mm. of complex life from a single cell organism. So it is possible that this planet is the only one that has, has managed to do that. So I think when I was younger, I remember my science teacher you know, when you're a kid, they're like, Miss, do you believe in UFOs? And I remember her answer was that the stars you see in the sky are like 2% of the ones that exist and stars will often have planets surrounding them. So wouldn't it be, it's a bit infeasible to think that maybe we're the only ones given the sheer scale of all of that. But now after this show, I'm like, I always thought that was very interesting and now I'm possibly even more intrigued by the idea that we are alone given the sheer expanse of that idea. So I've really gone on quite the mental journey over the past couple of days. It's such a waste of space when you think about it. But is it, though? I think if you look, and this was where the imagery came in, there was some amazing imagery that was captured by the Hubble telescope and other such means. And the James Webb. And that, to me, I thought was it was incredible. And there is around the idea of, well, if it exists out there and there's no life that could understand the scope or see that, what does the universe exist for? I mean, I really went into a real deep dive in my own brain (laughs) after this. So lots of big ideas there, but really beautifully presented. And alongside the music, I think a lot of great ideas boiled down into a really nice starter pack for starting to think about looking outward to the universe to understand a bit more about our responsibilities here on Earth. So it was a big, big brain weekend for me, but it was a wonderful show. A cosmological concert. Indeed, exactly. And, of course, the orchestra played beautifully. So Are they better than ours? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you start that Melbourne v Sydney competition. Uh, the other thing I will say I was... I wasn't talking about <laughs> Melbourne and Sydney. I meant Earth, Earth and, uh, you know... <laughs> oh, I will say as well, there was a very nice parallel between, you know, what this complex life can create in terms of symphonies, which are just sound Mm. and sound waves and the possibilities of creativity and, you know, starting to think more about pulling on the thread of the AI, AI making art, AI making music. What is it to be human and create something? How does that differ from something a computer makes? So you could go as deep as you like. You can pull on these threads as much as you like. So it was quite nice to think deeply about something. So 
all of my life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you know that Brian Cox has a discography all of his own? Yes, yes. Yeah. I think his little tagline is usually physicist and musician. Mm. So He was um, doing a, a keyboard player with the rock group Dare back in the 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. A couple of albums out too. Yeah, yeah. So you've got some music, I guess. <laughs> I do, I do. So uh, before I do, I'll also say another interesting bit about the show was Brian is, of course, friends with Peter Seville, who designed the album covers for Joy Division and, yes, the one that you're thinking of, New Order, George Michael, and he founded Factory Records. And so Brian was telling him about this show and then Peter Seville was like, oh, I'd love to do the merch for that. So he did do the merch and I'm wearing one of the T-shirt, T-shirts right yeah. now <laughs> and it includes a quote which is from Joy Division and it says existence what does it matter you're listening to a triple r podcast discover more podcasts from triple r exploring science technology food books social issues politics and more to listen hit up the triple r website or your favorite podcast platform all right now we've covered a number of items on today's show now it is time for doctor who yes one of the things about the three 60th anniversary specials, it feels like just last decade when we were doing the 50th anniversary mm. specials. The three specials have been running on Disney+. Plus. It's still strange to say that. Yeah. Uh, for the past two weeks now, mm-hmm. uh, dropping on Sunday here in Australia. And the next one is next week. And then there'll be a, a Christmas special too. Yes, good timing, obviously. Mm. <laughs> That's a bit of a, a break with... Not tradition, because they used to have a lot of Christmas specials, but they stopped doing them for a while and did New Year's Day specials. Yeah. So they're back to that, probably, because it's a Christmassy sort of theme in it. And that will, of course, see uh, uh, Shooty Gatwa playing the Doctor, taking over from David Tennant. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, look, I, I really enjoyed the two specials that mm-hmm. I've seen so far. I won't talk so much about the second one because it's just dropped. Yeah. Give some time. But the first one will go spoilery because that was last week. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, run while you can if you don't want to hear anything about it. Because, you know, I know some people who don't have Disney+. Plus. Difficult to grasp for me because the Marvel connection and and much to my surprise, the Star Wars one, you know, because I really enjoyed Mm. The Mandalorian and some of the other series. Uh, But... um, you know, it is what it is. There's money involved in, in these things. The answer to every question, there's money involved. <laughs> and it's certainly on display now that Disney is partnering with yes. Doctor Who. I'm looking at this stuff and thinking, whoa, <laughs> the special effects are a little bit more A-grade now. Yeah, yeah. That Disney cash. As far as I know, they're still shooting at, at uh, Bad Wolf in, um, in Cardiff and Wales. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's just... Maybe like say, well, instead of spending X amount of dollars, you can now do X times X. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the first one, the Star Beast, which seems to spring into mind as being a Robert Heinlein story title as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So we've got David Tennant reprising his Doctor. Yep. And we've got Donna Noble reprising uh, sorry, Catherine Tate reprising the character of Donna Noble uh, and some of her family members as well. Yep. Uh, but new family members too. And basically they all end up in London. Gee, who'd have thunk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in contemporary times. And so this is like 15 years of 
of puny earth human time yeah. since the Doctor. Years. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, oh, my God. Wow. It's like they talk about classic Doctor Who and, and like, <laughs> we're yeah. well on the other side of that now, but wow. it's got its own iconic status. Yeah. And in that time we've been through, uh, from, since they rebooted the Doctor, well, reboot is not really quite the... Um, Refaced, maybe. Refaced. <laughs> Rebodied. Rebodied the Doctor. Uh, we've had Christopher Eccleston. Yep. We have had David Tennant. Mm-hmm. We've now twice. Yep. We've had uh, Matt Smith. Yep. Peter Cabaldi. Jodie Whittaker. Also circling through John Hurt and uh, Paul McGann. And oh my gosh, I've forgotten the name of the uh, the fugitive Doctor. Um, but, the other, the other woman. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. And, I know the one you mean. And the uh, the small one, the little girl. Yes. Um, you know, so there's all these yep. sort of leaps and bounds and things. So it's got its own momentum now. Doctor Who? Leaps and bounds? What? Yeah. Well, I mean, if anybody could match Jodie Whittaker's energy mm. as the Doctor, it's David Tennant. Yeah, yeah. Who has to wear... Running shoes, basically. <laughs> and did you notice how the new expansive TARDIS console room? It's uh, it's obviously accessible to wheelchairs because there are huge ramps. Yep. But it's really great for David Tennant to go tearing up and down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least it would be if Rose hadn't sort of messed it up a bit. <laughs> Sorry, not Rose, Donna. I get that confused because, of course, there is the uh, the other companion, Rose Tyler. Mm-hmm. But Donna Noble now has a daughter called Rose. Okay. Possibly named in honour of the earlier Rose. I don't know I, if I could see could Donna. Be. Could be. Would Donna do that? I don't know. Anyway, the first episode of the special Star Beast is written by Russell T Davies mm-hmm. from a story by Pat Mills and Dave Gibbons. Now, okay. 2000 AD fans and British comic book fans in general would know those names. Yeah. And there's a reason why they're in there because a character from their comic books from Doctor Who magazine mm. back in the day appears in this episode. Yeah. Beep the Meep, which is a, <laughs> a really a absolutely adorkable furry creature with big eyes and yep. big ears. Yep. And, and yeah. So, <laughs> Christmas merchandise yeah, plug. <laughs> yeah, you know. But, of course, and here is the spoiler, it's actually an evil galactic conqueror. Great. Love it. <laughs> so, you know, we're playing that uh, that trope that science fiction is allowed to do where something that's really nice turns out to be not so nice. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's like a gremlin mm. thing. Yeah. And that's the episode, The Star Beast. And this creature falls to Earth in no uncertain terms. There's been a, a major kerfuffle out in space. And so we have to deal with this creature here on Earth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well as best we can. And that's where Donna's family come in because, of course, it ends up in uh, Donna's family's shed. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. In Lon- yeah, in London, of yeah, course. It's that morphic resonance again. Uh, and it's not, not that big a stretch. That's how they usually do it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, all right, that's how it's going to work. Uh, and the, they also have uh, uh, people like uh, uh, Miriam Margolis doing the voice of the Meep, which I thought was, was quite charming. Now, the... Beep first appeared in the 1980s. Yep. So, you know, roll on to now. We've got uh, 
Uh, as I said, uh, Miriam Margolis playing the voice, um, and she, she she segues from that uh, very charming. I'm such a nice, cute little character to bow to all of me. I will destroy your world, sort of stuff. She does that very well. It's pretty fun. <laughs> um, Yasmin Finney plays Rose Noble. She was in the uh, the Netflix series Heartstopper. Ah, oh. uh, which yes. I, know, I briefly glanced at because I thought it might be some kind of serial killer show, but it wasn't. So. No, it's lovely. It's a very sweet uh, queer coming of age, teenagers in England, really great series. Mm. Not genre whatsoever, so yeah, I'm not so, surprised that you don't know. Well, not my genre. It's a no. very great. It's a very great series, and it's based on a web web tune. Mm. And uh, you might be wondering, well, she's um, her uh, mother is Jamaican mm. and her father is. Uh, Irish Italian descent, oh. uh, and the, this all makes sense in terms of genetic heritage because uh, Donna's husband is played by Carl Collins, mm-hmm. and the character name is Sean Temple, and he's a, a an English actor and director who's been in uh, all sorts of things. Uh, actually, is he a director too? I'm, I'm not sure about that. I have to check on that. But he was in the um, Apple TV series Trying. Mm-hmm. And he was also a lawyer in the Flash movie. Just popped up there. And so he is um, Donna's husband. He drives a cab in the story, (laughs) which I thought was kind of cool. And Donna's still being... She's actually... She won the lottery at the end of her um, tenure with uh, the David Tennant doctor 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. as well as having her memory wiped because the doctor's... Uh, brain patterns had been impressed upon her, and if she ever remembered it, the full magnificence of that would kill her. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. So, and it was terribly tragic because all of those adventures with the doctor, oh, she forgot. Even I heard about this as a mm. non-Who fan at the time. Mm. Yeah, it was as tragic as poor old Rose Tyler being That's locked away right. in another dimension, and it just it just yeah. broke our hearts. And I think people had that as a hanging thread for a long time, mm. right? Yeah. And she had to be protected from knowledge of the Doctor. Yeah. So during these 15 years, all these things that the Doctor has been doing as the other Doctors yes. uh, has not been seen by her. She's sort of missed them yeah. or been misdirected by her her, <laughs> her, uh, her grandfather. And so yeah. they've all just sort of like pushed her out of, out of, out of it and she's been uh, preserved from that. But they come up with a great solution to that in mm-hmm. this and I thought it was a – not quite a hand wavy sort of timey wimey thing, but it worked. Okay. And all the feels because I thought that Donna was very hard done by. I mean, yeah, you know, don't have a travel with a doctor anymore. But to me, to not to even wipe her. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to to fridge her in a terrible sense. Yeah. And it was good drama. Let's let's face it. I mean, it's memorable too. Yeah. Well, obviously not. Well, not from, <laughs> not from Donna. Not from Donna. And so that's all. Um, Restored in this, and, and I thought okay. that was a great moment. And you know what? If you did it in the next season, yeah, it would be a bit naff. Yeah, but doing it fifteen years later, yeah, that's the charm. And this, the special, I've, the fact that it's in this little kind of blip in between as well. It's a bit of a free space to do mm. do some more risky stuff. I think. Mm. Look, I do miss Jodie Whittaker as a doctor. Yeah. I really enjoyed her performance. And I liked a lot of the episodes too. I know a lot of people didn't, but that's you, so that's my, not my problem. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, yeah. Look, we, yeah. All, we all sit on the sofa, um, you know, in our own special place, except don't sit in Sheldon Cooper's place. 
And in Doctor Who's case, we hide behind the, show, the sofa and watch it. And, like, this is the 60th anniversary. And Gosh. it's like 800 and, 800 and numpty episodes, like 73 or something like that. Mm. You know, there's, there's a chunk of those that are missing. Yeah. Like under 100 are missing because they wiped them all. Like they cancelled Donna's brains pattern. Goodness. But, uh, you know, so here we are down the track. It's a very worn formula. Yeah. Um, it's well worn. It's comforting. Yeah. But it's also not because they're yeah. able to play a po- across that now. Yeah. 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 You know, like the second episode of the 60th, and I will tell you this much, it's a horror story. Ooh. And full on, they've gone straight from one thing to another. I found it very unsettling. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, perhaps not for the kiddies, although. I would have watched it. Interesting. <laughs> I don't have kids, otherwise I'd forbid them to watch these things. But, you know, mm, I'm sure there's silly. other reasons to have kids, but that stands out for me. Silly question. The Christmas special, is that likely going to be part of whatever story arc they're doing for these three episodes or will it be standalone? Is that usually – how does a Christmas special usually fit into what's going on at the it time? It can do. Oh, so they make new rules every time, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's all sorts of That's variations. the joy of it, I suppose. Yeah, it okay. Is. Okay. Yeah, it's Christmas, you know. What is Christmas for apart from to bring you surprises? From all of the Christmas specials that we – well, we're not going to have that many this year, I don't think. Well, I, I've heard it's, Christmas is also good for terrorising really rich people with the ghosts of the past, present and future. <laughs> That's another way of looking at it too. So, yeah, um, the Star Beast I thought was very well done. The pacing's <laughs> really good. We introduce uh, not only the um, uh, the uh, Ro- Donna's daughter, yep. who, and you do not want to threaten Donna's daughter when Donna Noble is around because she will descend. Good for Donna. <laughs> yeah, good for Donna and her and her husband, um, who's very. I must admit, he's very accepting of all of this. <laughs> you kind of have to, be. have to be. You have to be. <laughs> and we briefly see Donna's new life. Her. her she won the lottery, but she gave all the money away. Yeah. Because it somehow seemed to be the sort of thing that she should mm. do. It's the sort of thing that Doctor would do. Uh, so still in there. Little, little... She did buy a house. That's fair. And then it gets trashed in this episode. So. Oh, God. Yeah. So we well... do see Jacqueline King playing Sylvia Noble, Donna's mum. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which is a welcome return. She's a feisty character too. And, of course, we get a new character in this, uh, Shirley Ann Bingham. is. um a differently abled unit um, officer, and uh, she's played by Ruth Madeley. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also in the Big Finish episode, the audio um, Doctor Who. Oh, okay. So was playing the Sixth Doctor's companion, and her wheelchair is enormously well tricked out nice. in the story. And there's a great line in it: um, something about uh, your wheelchair has darts. It also has rockets and stuff too. But mm. it darts and she goes, everyone's does. <laughs> and you think, oh, is that really true? Do all wheelchairs come <laughs> equipped with machine guns and rocket launchers and darts? It's, I certainly hope so. That would mm-hmm. be cool. Uh, but, yeah, and, you know, it, it, the story, the character is well integrated into the story. Yeah, good. Uh, alongside all of those unit squaddies, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> black beetle armour and their yeah. special glasses to hide when they're being possessed by aliens and stuff. And it's clearly, you know, more Disney dollars at work here, a yeah. whole army there, more than the ten usual PVC soldiers. And, 
you know, the the special effects were great in terms of the the rocket ship that was there. I think you yeah. very convinced by that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, all cool. All, all, all Off to a good start. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. All right, so we've just been talking about the Doctor Who specials, the yep. 60th anniversary specials, all three of them. We've rolled through two of them. Uh, Wild Blue Yonder was the one that was just on today, and they're all streaming on Disney Plus, so yep. no longer tied to waiting for the DVDs, which you probably won't get anyway from Disney Plus. You'll have to wait till Madman Entertainment gets yep. doing them because they've now got the, um, the distribution for Australia. And um, Wild Blue Yonder, uh, Star Beast, Wild Blue Yonder, both written by Russell T Davies. Mm-hmm. And going for next week's one, The Giggle, again by Davies. And that one has Neil Patrick Harris in it. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, really. okay. Uh, I'm tempted. Again, they're reprising an, uh, another old character that um, appeared a very, very long time ago in mm. Doctor Who. My... Uh, the second Doctor. My memories of the Doctor go back to because ones before that were wiped uh, to the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton. Right. And I remember this character from that era. I can remember watching the Yeti, big sort of furry monsters, mm. uh, walking through the London Underground, which they'd taken over and it was all cobwebs. Mm. Thus the episode was called Web of Fear. Recently restored and uh, and uh, put out on DVD, relatively recently. Well, in the last 900 years or so. And I watched that from behind the sofa because it was so scary. Aww. You know, so... That's so cute. Yeah. Do you think Doctor Who will just keep... Do you think it has the capacity to just always be something that exists like that keeps going and going. Yes. Um, I mean, apart from that, that clever dodge of the rent regeneration yeah. thing, which allows you to keep rolling Yeah, over, yeah. Um, there is other things of uh, forces for renewal within the show. It's, yeah. And you think it's still got legs with... Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, the time travel gimmick yeah. allows you to constantly update it. Yeah. And also think because of the format... You can come up with almost any concept and make it work in the hmm. in the realm. I mean, it all gets doctor. horrendously complicated with continuity and canon, but who cares about that? And I think they've got enough <laughs> of a don't. hand wave that yeah, yeah you, you can, can you can, can forgive that. it. It's all timey wimey and wibbly wobbly, and any, yeah. anything you can explain, you can make it work. Yeah, and I think it's it's also reached a, a sort of a point that that genre. Let's not use the word franchise, but genre. I mean, it is. It is franchises. I don't know, but but things like Doctor Who, Star Trek, mm. Star Wars, to some extent. Um, there's been a few other shows actually that have reached that sort of level too. But those are those are three of the main ones, obviously. Mm. Um, you know, Stargate actually managed to roll over into mm. a whole bunch of different television shows and movies and, and so on. Uh, but you know, you go out of that, out of the television and movie genre sort of things, uh, mediums, and you get into literature, you think like Robin Hood and King Arthur. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. And Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes and Tarzan. And, and slowly you get 
an idea that there are these very large bodies of work that are they become societal and cultural metaphors as well. Mm. So the the attitude to King Arthur in a certain time is pretty lousy at the moment because there's been some bad movies and stuff. <laughs> Although the Winter oh, yeah. the Winter King is not is pretty good actually as a television show for I think at least. Um, these actually show serve as mirrors to the times that they're made in too, and Doctor Who certainly does that. I just I think it's so interesting as a consistent piece of work because you're right about things like Sherlock Holmes, but I'd say that is a reinvention each time, and new people get their mitts on it, and so in itself, there's still room for creativity and something new. Mm. But Doctor Who has just been this consistent thrum across decades. Oh, I did have a hiatus at one stage. I think it's quite unusual to have... Because Star Wars, you know, there's long periods where nothing was being released in a Star Wars sense. Mm. Uh, and well, it's, it's, I think it's quite singular in that way. Yes, it's very Sherlock, Sherlockian of you. Very singular. Um, yes and no, because like Star Trek, you know, had its original three seasons, then they did an animated series, but... And then it took a while for the yes. next generation to come along and yes. movie a movie in nineteen seventy nine, etc. But in between that there was a, a constant thread of fandom. Sure, yes, a hundred percent. And of expanded universe content of, mm. of uh, media tie ins, books, yeah. records. You know, so yeah. there is a a context that continues even when the show's not on air. That's so true, like the underlying fan legacy, and then you can go deeper even to fan fiction things like that, fan meetups. It's it's interesting what persists and what lasts. And I think you're right about Doctor Who tapping into parts of the social consciousness of a time. Mm. 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 Sorry, I, I digressed us there, but I was just thinking about when you were reminiscing about your long history with the show. It's It feels very comfortable to watch Doctor Who. It feels safe. But it's yeah. also not safe in lots of ways, which is great. But it's fine to let that play out on screen, if mm. that makes sense. It's like the same thing as a horror movie, that it's safe to experience that fear in this controlled setting. Yeah. Anyway, off we go now. Joe yes. Frenetic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.